evening, everybody. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's great to be here. And greetings to all you folks out there in live stream land. Great to have you tonight. Praise the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news. That's what I'm here to do tonight. I've got some good news for you. You know, I'm looking at Annie over there, and she calls me a, a word bird. You, I think she calls herself a word bird, too. And, and that's because I love the Word of God. The more I hear it, the more I study it, the more I read it, the more I love it. And so I've got some things to share with you tonight. I, I was thinking as I went over it, I've got a lot of scriptures here, so I don't know how far I'm going to get. I might have to trim it down a bit. But um, there's just so many wonderful things that God reveals to us in his word. And even as, you know, in the last couple months or so, well, we've had really a lot of us have had more time to spend in the word and listen to messages and read books. And so there's been a number of things kind of going around on the inside of me. There's never more than just one thing. There's usually several. So I'm going to talk about something that I believe the Lord wanted me to speak tonight about, and I'm going to start with prayer, but I'm going to actually read the Ephesians prayers out tonight, because these are, are great prayers found in Ephesians 1 and 3, and I, I must say I don't pray these every day, but I pray them kind of regularly, <laughs> and because they're the word of God, they're the will of God. And if it's the will of God, we know that God hears us and he answers it. So this is a prayer that God is going to answer for all of us tonight. So just pay attention to what you're going to be learning tonight. So I'm starting in Ephesians 1. And you can just listen. You don't have to read along, but you can read along if you like. Therefore, I also heard, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith, at New Covenant Ministries Church, in the Lord Jesus, in your love for all the saints. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And over in chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We're family that he would grant us according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, 
and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, that's us, by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise. So that tonight, we're going to be learning some of those things. You've heard them before, but you're going to hear them again. And the more you hear them, the more you understand, the more revelation comes. Hey. I'm just going to start off with my, my lead scripture. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Now, I got to thinking about the fatherhood of God this week because I heard about a YouTube channel, and it's called Dad, How Do I? I don't know if anybody's ever seen it or heard of it, but I heard some people kind of raving about it, so I checked it out. And it's very, very simple. It's only been out there a couple months and he's already got over 2 million subscribers. And it's just a dad, a guy in his 50s, and he's just giving advice, like he's giving advice to his children, like how to change a tire, how to tie a tie, how to iron a shirt, just really basic everyday stuff that it's good to know. And people love this channel. Uh, there's lots of how-to channels out there. If you want to know how to do something, you just Google it, and there's somebody showing you how to do it. But yet, they're not popular like this guy is. And I don't think he set out to be popular. He said, I just want to, thought, I, maybe I can help a few people. That was all he was thinking. But he comes across as a father. And sometimes he'll start out and he'll say, hey, kids. And then he'll tell a dad joke. You know, my dad used to tell dad jokes. Did anybody else's dad ever used to tell dad jokes? I thought he was the only one. I thought my dad, you know, like, th these are lame jokes, dad. Please don't embarrass me, you know? But this guy tells dad jokes. And then at the end, he may something, say something like, you can do it. I'm proud of you. And this has really struck a chord with people. And... I always like to look at the remarks under some of these channels and see what people are saying. It's really interesting and very telling. And so I copied some of these, and I'm going to read them to you. Because some of the people, they leave comments, they've got a dad, everything's good, but they still like to watch it. But it's amazing. I guess we all know that we live in a generation that doesn't have fathers. You know, people, some don't have fathers. They were never in the picture. And some people have fathers, but their fathers really aren't there for them. Or if they're there, they're unapproachable. So listen to, to what people are saying. He said, heard about this channel. I thought it was a joke. No, I see it's pure and honest. Is this what a normal dad looks like? I was expecting more yelling and cursing and calling me worthless. This is nice. I'm 39, and I never learned any of this. I had six stepdads. None of them cared much about me. I watch all your videos, and I feel empowered. Everyone needs a dad, even at 39. 
thank you for doing this. This channel instantly made me cry. As someone who's grown up with an abusive father and have no relationship with him, this is so heartwarming. Please keep doing what you're doing. I've always been scared that when I grow up and if I become a father, I won't be able to teach my children dad things because no one ever taught me. Thank you. This might change that. I'm literally crying with this. Never been close with my dad and almost everything had to teach myself. Thank you very much. Tell me why I'm crying at a video about using a stud finder. <laughs> I have a dad, but it's like he doesn't exist. It hurts to have a father who isn't close to you. It really hurts, man. Having a steady, kind dad when so many things are crazy out there, it's just so restorative. Thanks. Hey, Dad, Russian teenagers also watch you. You're so cool. Hey, Dad, I love you, and I'm calling you Dad because I never had a dad. Hey, kids is so simple yet heartwarming to hear. Kim, I'm proud of you. Me starts crying. The man we never asked for, but deep down we all know we need it. Now, the last one is obviously a Christian. This is good. My dear sir, God has anointed you with a significant calling. You have given so many orphans in our culture the precious opportunity to even think the words, thanks, Dad, love you, Dad, that really helped, Dad. You're filling a void that some people don't even know that they have. I pray that through your example, people will come to understand the unconditional love that our Heavenly Father has for them also. Thank you for being a light in a dark world. And a big thank you to your son and daughter for sharing you. So that's what I, I took off of there. But I found them very um, moving. And, and how great a need there is for a father. And, you know, dads are all different. Like my dad, really, he never taught me any of that stuff. We were all girls. But he taught me other stuff. You know, some dads are good at one thing, some are good at another. So. Yeah. He, and sometimes with a dad, too, it's just their example, and, and a mother, too. It's their example. It's how they live their life. For instance, I never grew up cursing and swearing because my parents didn't curse and swear. And, and if you did, you was in big trouble, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, you know, parents can just simply set a really great example. And maybe you don't know how to change a tire yourself, but there are other things you can impart to your children. So I'm, I'm looking at fa Father God tonight as our dad, because even if you didn't have a dad, I know Pastor Gary, you didn't have one, and, and other people, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but you can't undo the past. But everybody can have a Heavenly Father. And some of this is kind of basic, but for those of you out there who don't know this, <laughs> in order to have a Heavenly Father, you have to be born again. Um, John 3.3, 3. this is Jesus speaking. He's the one who coined the phrase, being born again. He was talking to Nicodemus. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I, I really think what he's saying there is you can't understand the things of God unless you're born again. And this is the one that uh, talks about the father-child relationship, John 1, 
12 to 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it's so simple to receive Jesus. So simple. And when we do, we're children of God. We're in the family, you know? Isn't that amazing? And I like this one. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this scripture is very important to me because this is the scripture that I got saved through. I was... I really didn't know a whole lot about the Bible. I knew a few scriptures. I could say the Lord's Prayer and probably the 23rd Psalm, and I went to Sunday school. But this scripture was just the answer to my prayers. But because of, I think, Sunday school and somebody out there praying for me, when I realized as an adult how empty and selfish I was, I started looking for the truth. And I prayed and I said, God, if you're a good God, a God of love, you won't hide this from me. And I asked him, I said, I want you to show me the truth and I want you to show me the right way to live. And so when I read the scripture, God said, you ask me to show you the way and the truth. And he said, you need Jesus. And this is how we come to the Father. I didn't know that. I didn't even understand that. And I tried to argue with God. And I said, well, God, what does that have to do with anything? And he said, don't try and figure it out, just accept it. And so I thought, well, what have I got to lose, you know? So I asked Jesus into my life, and everything changed. I didn't know what was going on at the time. And, you know, it it was kind of neat because nobody was talking to me, nobody was sharing the gospel with me. It was just one-on-one with God, and it's amazing that he can get a hold of us. You know, we don't have to be in a church and say a sinner's prayer. God can find us wherever we are out there. And I've heard so many testimonies that are very similar. But after that, I wanted to know more. And, and I just had this knowing that the Bible was true. So I started reading the Bible, going to church. And because I was single and didn't have anything much going on in my life except work, I, you know, every evening I'd be in a Bible study, a prayer meeting, be at Mr. Cooper's house, you know, (laughs) be in church because I was so hungry. It was, it was, this was so great. And it was true when I became born again, the Bible came alive and God became my father. And every, everything I read said, I love you in there. It was wonderful. Praise the Lord. And it's still speaking to me, but at, at a different level now. And now I know why I had to accept Jesus. But back then, I didn't. And once we're, we become children, there, there's some wonderful verses about our relationship with God as our Father. And maybe I'll get you folks to, to look some of these up. I could read them, but it's good to put your eyes on them. In Romans eight fifteen. This is one I really like, Romans 8. I'm going to read from 15 to 17. 
For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer him with him, that we may also be glorified together. So I love that, that we, we're no longer under that fear. We're no longer afraid. We are accepted by Abba Father. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Jesus did. And Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And the next one I'll get you to look up. It's Galatians 4.4-7. 4 Sometimes you just have to stop and think about these things. How great this is. What a privilege it is. So Galatians 4.4-7. 4 when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So because we're sons, we're heirs as well. I just want to read something that I found about the term Abba, Father. The word Abba is an Aramaic word that means father, and it was a common term that expressed affection, confidence, and trust. Abba signifies that close, intimate relationship of a father and his son as well as the childlike trust that a young child puts in his daddy. Abba is always followed by the word father in scripture, and the phrase is found three times. In Mark 14.36, Jesus addressed his father as Abba Father in his prayer in Gethsemane. And then in the two scriptures that we've just read here in Romans and Galatians, Abba Father. The two terms together doubly emphasize the fatherhood of God in two different languages. So we are assured of God's care for his children. So because of what Jesus has done, we have been brought into relationship. The relationship is the father and his children. But there's something else I want to talk about that relates to that. And... Again, over the last couple months, when I was on YouTube again, there's a lot of good stuff on YouTube. I was listening to Nancy Dufresne one night, and she quoted from one of Kenyon's books called In His Presence. And I had bought the book a long time ago, and I never read it, just tucked it away. <laughs> and when she mentioned it, I thought, you know, I should read that book. And I went to my bookshelf, which is just crammed with books. I thought, you know, every time I'm looking for a book, it's really hard to find one. But there it was, front and center. It was just there. So I took it out, and, and I was remembering why I hadn't read it. Because the last time I read a book by Kenyon, it was New Creation Realities, when I took the course. And as pa Pastor Gary would say, it was like drinking out of a fire hose. I, I just, like, I could hardly take it in. 
It was just too much. <laughs> it was like meat, strong meat. And so I thought, oh, this book's going to be like that too. <laughs> but I, I made a commitment to myself and God, I'm going to read a chapter a day. So I started out in it, and sure enough, I just wasn't getting it. And so I got about two-thirds of the way through, and suddenly it started to speak to me. You know, if you just stick with it. You know, we read the Bible through every year, and it's amazing. Some books seem really hard when you first start reading them, but after time, the revelation starts to come, so you've got to give it some time. So anyways, I got through to the end, and I thought, wow, what a great book. So I'm reading it through again. But I read something in it the other night that really pertains to what I want to talk about tonight. And I'll just read you a little bit. And the way he writes the book, he sort of does an overview of the chapter before he gets into the chapter. So I'm going to read from his overview. We have found that sonship without fellowship would never satisfy the heart of the father nor the heart of his child. So we, we just read some comments from people on the internet who had fathers. And probably all of us have a father or knew our fathers. Some might not have, but we definitely had a relationship with them. They were our fathers. We were their children. But did we have fellowship with them? That's a whole other thing. And often as Christians, we know we're God's children, but we're not having fellowship with the Father. Fellowship must be based upon absolutely sure grounds so that the child may know that he can go into the Father's presence with the same freedom that your child enters your presence. So we have to know some things to have confidence to go into the presence of God and have fellowship with him. I think kids get it, but sometimes as adults we don't. The old idea of prayer doesn't fit into this new unveiling of love's groundwork in redemption. The Father is love, and he's given us his love nature, so fellowship is as natural as breathing. The Word teaches us how to maintain our fellowship and how to regain it if we should lose it. And this is the important part, how to maintain it, and if you lose it, how to get it back. And God has provided for that. Fellowship with the Father is the very heart of a prayer life. There can be no vigorous faith exercised without a rich fellowship existing between the two. We may know that we are just children. We may know our legal rights. But if our fellowship has been broken, it shatters our faith and fills us with fear and dread. The maintaining of our fellowship is one of the most important facts of the spiritual life. So that really spoke to me. You know, I, I started thinking about myself. You know, how much is my prayer life or just my everyday life fellowship with God? Now, I am working on it. But sometimes we, it becomes just a formality. You know, I've, I've done my, my devotions, and now I'm just going to move on to other things. But devotions are good. But we should be in touch with God all day long, talking to him, knowing that he loves us. And I think one of the great foundations for our confidence before God is knowing that we are righteous. Like we hear about that a lot in this church. But sometimes you hear it, but it doesn't really grip your heart and become a part of you. 
So that's one of the things I love to meditate on is righteousness. I remember Mary Boucher used to teach a lot on that. And um, I probably would love to hear some of that stuff again. I'm sure it was good. But I'm at a different place now, so I'm looking at righteousness in a different way. And, and one of the things that strike me, strikes me about this righteousness, it's not our righteousness. It's not anything that we do. When Jesus died on the cross, I'm just going to read this verse from Romans. I love this verse, and I'm, I'm reading it out of, I think it's the J.B. Phillips that I've got here. I think in this chapter 4, he's talking about the faith of Abraham here. He says, now this counting of faith for righteousness was not recorded simply for Abraham's credit, but as a divine principle, which should apply to us as well. Faith is not reckoned as right, excuse me, faith is to be reckoned as righteousness to us also, who believe in him, who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ who was delivered over to death for our sins and raised again to secure our justification. It his, his resurrection secured our justification. There's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing we can take away from it. It's done. And of course, we all know 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So there's that great exchange there. He took our sin, but we get his righteousness. And I think a lot of the body of Christ doesn't know that. They're trying in their own righteousness to be right. And, and there is a place for us to walk it out. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But first, we have to have that foundation that we are made righteous with his righteousness. That's why we can stand before God. Jesus made us right so that we can stand before God. I'm just going to read you one more verse here in Philippians 3, 7 to 9. I think we were reading that today, actually. And this is Paul. He was talking about, you know, all of his credentials and his pedigree as a Jew. Everything that he'd done, you know, he tried to cross all his T's and dot all his I's and get it right. You know, he probably worked very hard to do that. And this is what he says in Philippians 3, 7. But what things were gained to me, all of these things that I have done, all of the things that I have achieved, I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So we need to be founded firmly on the righteousness of Christ. And even when we sin, when we mess up, even if we backslide, we're still the righteousness of God in Christ. We still are. And another really great fact to know, and this is one of my favorite scriptures. You can look this up if you like. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. We're free from Satan's dominion. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. The ones you're going to commit tomorrow or next week, they're forgiven. They're taken care of. You still have to confess them, but you're forgiven. It's already, it's, the price has already been paid. And I, I, I kind of hesitate to give you too many scriptures here, but these ones are so good. <laughs> they're, I'll just read them to you. They're in, they're in Hebrews. They're so good. And this is where I'm going with this. When you know you're righteous, you know your conscience is clean. There's no guilt. There's no fear. That's why we can have fellowship with God. And, and I really want to look at this whole area of the cleansed conscience. Because we don't always talk about that, do we? A lot of times, I know myself, you just kind of have this vague feeling that you're not right with God, that God's mad at you, or maybe, maybe I did something today. And Will he answer my prayers if I pray to him? Maybe if I'm better tomorrow, he'll answer my prayers. You know, we slip into that way of thinking. And that's because somehow we're allowing our consciences to be defiled. Now, about the conscience in Hebrews 9, 11 to 14, it says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Once for all, eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Our consciences are cleansed by the blood. And in Hebrews 10, 19 to 23, he said, Therefore, brethren, having boldness, not only can we have fellowship with God, but we can come boldly, boldly to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And this is one of, I think, the keys to maintaining that fellowship, that clear conscience, is holding fast our confession of it. Holding fast the fact that we have a clear conscience, that Jesus' blood has taken care of it. But, you know, sometimes we do sin, and when that happens, that affects our conscience and our, our confidence before God. And so 1 John gives us the remedy for that. There's a remedy. You don't have to stay there. And you can turn to 1 John if you like. I'm going to read, I think, all of 1 John 1, because it's really good. 
So it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So this is John talking about his experience with Jesus on the earth. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So, so Paul, or not Paul, John is saying, telling us these things so that we can have fellowship with the Father. And he goes on to say, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, what, it, what does it mean to walk in the light? John talks about this in chapter 2. I'm, just, I'm going to come back to chapter 1, but he says, He who is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So that's one way. That's a big way. If we don't walk in love towards one another, we're walking in the darkness, and that can affect our fellowship with the Father. It doesn't affect our relationship, but it does affect our fellowship. And then going back to 1 John and uh, 1, Verse 8, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And that's if we're not walking in the light. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So isn't that wonderful? We can restore our fellowship with God by confessing our sins. Sometimes um, we don't want to do that, but it's, it's for your own good. <laughs> And he will receive you. He will cleanse you. Because the blood of Jesus is still there, and it cleanses us. And I'm just going to go on to 1 John 3, because there's some good stuff here about walking in the light. I'm going to read a couple verses that are they're kind of, I've always found them hard to understand. And I've taken them from the J.B. Phillips version, because it kind of makes it a little easier for me, and I hope it does for you. John says, my children, let us not love merely in theory or in words. Let us love in sincerity and practice. If we live like this, we shall know that we are children of the truth and can reassure ourselves in the sight of God, even if our own hearts make us feel guilty. For God is infinitely greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. So sometimes... We just feel guilty. because we, we, There's a devil out there, and he likes to make us feel guilty, even if you haven't done anything. <laughs> Sometimes he'll do that. And so that might be what's going on here, or maybe you're just not even aware that you did anything wrong. And sometimes we feel guilty, but we shouldn't. You know, I think God's saying, don't just go around feeling guilty for nothing. Don't let that affect your relationship. 
And it says, and if, dear friends of mine, when we realize that our hearts no longer accuse us, we may have the utmost confidence in God's presence. We receive whatever we ask for because we're obeying his orders and following his plans. His orders are that we should put our trust in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as we used to hear him say in person. So it's simple. Believe in the name of the Lord, which we do, and walk in love. And and it's good to check our love walk. I know we don't always get it right, but that's a huge key right there to keeping your fellowship. And I just had to add this one in John, 1 John 4, 18 and 19. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And we love because he first loved us. So it's knowing that we're loved by God, that we're forgiven. We can come into his presence and have fellowship. And it, it changes everything. It changes your prayer life. It changes your walk with God. It's, it's not you're trying to impress God or trying to make God do things just because you've been good. It's so easy to slip over into that, isn't it? So maintain our fellowship with God and keep your conscience clean. And what is the purpose of all of that? Well, that could be a great purpose just in itself to have fellowship with the Father. But because of this, we have boldness. We have assurance of faith. It affects our faith. If we know we can come into the presence of God and be received by him, we know we can ask and receive. I'm just going to read a few. I'm circling the airport, as Pastor Gary would say. I'm going to read a few more scriptures from Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians, and I always think of the sit-walk stand of Ephesians. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but um, the first three chapters are, I think of as the sit part. And that's kind of what I've been talking about tonight. This is our position in Christ, who we are in Christ Not what we have done, he's done it all, and we've just received his grace by faith. But then once we hit chapter 4, 5, 6, part of chapter 6 is the walk part. So because of this, there's a walk with God. So if you like, we're just going to be in in Ephesians, so you don't have to flip over all over the Bible. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. Therefore, this is Paul talking, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. So it sounds like he's just asking us to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. That's what I get from that. And in unity, to keep the oneness. It's it's so important this day and age that in the body of Christ, we guard that unity as the body. That's so important. That's such a witness to the world that we're standing together. Ephesians 5, 1-2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, 
And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So here we are asked to be imitators of God. He's our father. You know, little kids often imitate their parents. They, you see kids doing what their dads do, especially little kids. It's kind of cute to watch. But even when you're a grown-up, have you ever thought, I can't believe I said that, that I sound just like my mother or I sound just like my father. So even when you're older, <laughs> you, you don't realize you're imitating your parents. So if we, we spend time with God and we fellowship with him, we're going to imitate him. And that means we're going to walk in love as Christ also loved us. And this is a, a sacrificial love he's talking about here. And further on down in Ephesians 5, 8 to 10, it says, For once you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So there's that walking in the light, walking in love, walking in the fruit of the Spirit. And finally, in, in chapter 5, Verses 15 and 16, see then that you walk circumspectly, and apparently that word means diligently, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So we're to walk in wisdom with God, discerning the times that we're in and knowing what we're to be doing. So I encourage you to cultivate that fellowship with God. You already have the relationship going on, but cultivate that fellowship. That's where we really get specific direction for our lives. We have the Word of God, and it gives us sort of the general, I don't want to call it general, but principles for life are found in the Word, but how we specifically walk it out in each one of our personal lives we really hear that from God most of the time, just him talking to us and showing us what to do. And he, and he does that all day long. It can be little things. It can be big things. So I encourage you to do that. And God bless you. Thank you for listening. And um, I trust that you will have increased revelation, wisdom, and understanding of these things. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.